Hello, Cornerstone, and what a pleasure it is to preach the Word of God. What a privilege, one that I do not take lightly. I hope you don't take lightly ever listening to a sermon. Wherever you are, whatever pastor you are listening and sitting under, may you listen, may your heart search the Scriptures and see if what the pastor is saying, see if what I'm saying agrees with the Word of God. So God bless Everybody that's watching this, and if you are local to Cornerstone, I want to invite you again, come on out to Lopat Park on our weekends, all the way through the middle of October. We're going to be celebrating our God together, worshiping our God together at an incredibly beautiful park in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. So you can find the address of that park online on our website, but I want to invite you to come on out. Let's worship together, and I would imagine that there is a deep, deep-rooted part of you that has been missing gathering together. And if you're not sensing that, then I'm hoping that these sermons are going to bring that awareness to you because that's the way that God has designed us. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Wherever you are, would you open them up to Matthew chapter 3? Now, can I really ask you right now to stop If you need to get up and go get your Bible, go do it. Open it up maybe on your phone or your tablet or iPad, but get your Bible out, and I want to show you what happens in the baptism of Jesus. And you might be saying, oh, come on, I've been hearing about this all my life. I'll just listen. Well, I want to show you maybe something you might not have noticed before, and maybe a couple things. So can I invite you to get your Bible Let's all open them up to Matthew chapter 3. We are a church that preaches the joy of coming under the authority of God's Word. So Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. And while you're opening up, let me tell you about something that happened way, way back in 1480 A.D. There was a baby born, and his name was Balthazar Hubmeier. Balthazar Hubmeier. He was born in Germany. And he grew up and he entered the priesthood. But it wasn't very long when he became a believing Protestant. And that was a really dangerous thing to do when the Pope's power and might reigned supreme. It wasn't long before Hubmeier was arrested and he was sentenced to die. Now you might be thinking, you got to be kidding me. Somebody was sentenced to die for their religious positions? Yes, that's happened. Thousands of people martyred because they believed in Jesus and believed in the Word of God. The reason Hubmeier was arrested and the reason that he was put to death was that he taught that baptism was not for infants It was for those who had put their faith in Jesus Christ. On Easter, 1525, the day of Easter, 1525, he baptized 300 believers. A few years later, he was arrested March 10th, 1528, and he was tortured. He was put on the rack. He recanted a little of his positions, but he would not recant his faith in Jesus Christ. He would not recant his position in baptism. So he was sentenced to finally be burned at the stake for his belief. It was a custom of the executioner to take gunpowder, believe it or not, 
and rub it into the beard and the hair of the victim so that when the flames would reach the head, they would go off. The flames would go off like a sparkler. It would be a spectacle of his death to the crowds. As the flames crept up his body, Hubmeyer cried out, I'm going to quote him, he cried out, Oh, my heavenly Father, oh, my gracious God. And as the flames neared his beard, his final words were, Oh, Jesus. Those watching said it appeared that Hubmeyer felt more joy than pain. What power of God for his saints. What conviction of his saints for his God. In much of the history of the church, Christians have been tolerated only until they submitted to baptism. And they declared in their baptism, their affiliation, their exclusive belonging to Jesus Christ and the church. Then all of a sudden the acceptance disappeared. In fact, recently in India, a house church was torn down because word leaked out that they had baptized 14 believers. In Bangladesh, Muslims attempted to burn a 70-year-old woman who was planning to be baptized. In England, a Pakistani girl was being pulled out of the baptismal pool by her own mother who kept screaming, the punishment is death, the punishment is death. See, Christians, what you need to know is that God's people in the entire church age have been willing to suffer in order to be baptized. So what has motivated them to undergo such steep price that they've had to pay? What was the motivation for them? Why would they suffer in order to be baptized? And I think another question is this, and I'm hoping that you will listen to this in case you are a believer and you are not being baptized, you don't want to be baptized, you are delaying being baptized, I want to ask you why in the face of all of 2,000 years of church history where saint after saint has suffered for their baptism, why in the modern American church has baptism become such an option? Matthew chapter 3 is going to show us the baptism of our Lord and Savior. And we can read it together starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's a river, to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. So Jesus travels from Galilee down to where John was baptizing in the Jordan. It was 60 miles by foot. And he joined thousands of Jews who were thronging out to the Jordan. Why? So that they could be baptized by John the Baptist. That's why he earned that nickname. You see, revival was happening in Israel. Revival was happening in Israel. And it was sparked by the preaching and the baptism of John. He was preaching that the Messiah had come. 
The Savior had come, the sent one that was going to rescue God's people, that he had come. For, and, and for us, for you and I, to understand the feverish climate of Israel at this time, I'm going to try to get you to imagine something. I want you to imagine America, our country, being conquered by Iran. And all of our culture, and all of our history, and all of our ideals are slowly being squeezed out of our nation and replaced by Middle Eastern culture. How would you respond if you were living in a time like that? How would you feel? Well, for Israel... Babylon had conquered them. And then after Babylon, Persia, had, or Assyria rather, had ruled them. And then after Assyria, Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. And slowly their national ident identity had been leached away, subverted now to Greco-Roman culture, Greek-Roman culture. But they believed that the Messiah, when he came, was going to change all of that. He was going to restore the world of the Jew to their national, worldwide prominence. And maybe John, maybe this fiery preacher with this zealous demeanor, maybe he was the Messiah. Maybe he's the one that was coming to restore Israel. But John was not that Messiah. He was the herald. He kept telling people, I'm just the forerunner. I'm the one that goes before the king to get the towns and the cities ready to greet their king. That's what his job was. And he did it by preaching and baptizing, listen, repentant people, even Gentiles who were non-Jews. And his message never changed. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was John's message. It would, be, it would be similar to week after week when I preach and you log on and you come out to Lopat Park and I've got basically the same message every single week. It just maybe changes a little bit, but the central theme is the same. This is what John did. He preached one basic message and he did it really, really well. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is coming. He's going to establish his kingdom, John was preaching. And if you don't want to be on the outside looking in, then you've got to repent. You've got to do a 180. And when you repent, I'm going to baptize you. That's going to be the symbol and the seal of your repentance. So if you came to John in the first century to be baptized, you were admitting that being Jewish wasn't going to save you from God's judgment. It wasn't going to gain you entrance into the kingdom of the Messiah. Just because you've got Jewish blood, that's not going to be enough. But my question begins to come into focus. If sinners came to John for baptism for repentance... Then, brother and sister, I want to ask you a question. Why did sinless Jesus come to, God, to, to John for baptism? I mean, if sinners were coming to John the Baptist 
because they were repenting from their sins, why did Jesus come to John if he was sinless and the Lamb of God? In fact, even John was confused. Look at verse 14. He says to Jesus, Listen, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He couldn't get his mind around this. He couldn't understand, Jesus, why? I know you're the Messiah. Why? Why? You have no sin. Why are you coming to me? I'm offering a baptism for repentance. In Matthew's gospel that we're looking at today, his alone of the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, only Matthew's gives us the key to answering that question. And we can find it in the reply that Jesus gives to John. Look at verse 15. Jesus answered that question of John. And he says this, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I'm guessing that was as clear as mud. That probably didn't make anything very understandable for you. So I'm going to read it again, and I want you, friends, to listen to my emphasis. You ready? Look at verse 14 with me. Verse 15. Jesus says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Listen, why didn't he say it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness? I'm the one that's going to die. I'm the one that's going to be buried. I'm the one that's going to be raised to life. I'm the one that's going to bring about reconciliation with God. I'm the one that's going to bring atonement. So why didn't Jesus say to John it was fitting for me? He didn't say that. He said it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, in the Catholic religion, they believe, many of them, that Mary is a co-redemptrix, meaning that she works with Jesus on a very high level of explanation, that her efforts, her sinlessness, her, her redemptive qualities can help a person get saved. We don't believe that. And this is not what Jesus means. John, you and I together, we're our actions. We're going to bring about salvation that's possible for anybody that believes. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what is he saying? That it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Here's what John was saying. Let me clarify this for you. John was saying, Jesus, I should, be in, I should be in your place under the waters of God's judgment and repentance and you should be in my place. And Jesus answers him and he says, in effect, you, John, you and I are about to show how sinners can be saved and it's going to be by me taking their place. This is why I came, John. This is my main reason for being here. I have come to repent in your place. I have come to live in your place. I have come to die in your place. And I'm going to take the curse, John, that you deserve so that you can have the blessing that I already possess. Friends, this is the meat and the potatoes of the gospel. This is the center of the gospel. It's called substitutionary atonement. And we see it 
in the word us. Jesus came to take the place of the sinner so that when the sinner believes, the sinner can have life. Now, this is going to be something where if you make light of your own sin and you make much of your own goodness, you're not going to get substitutionary atonement. You're not going to understand how important that pronoun us really is. Do you remember that really kind of odd song in The Sound of Music, the musical? Do you remember when Baron von Trapp told Maria that he loved her? And they sang a song. You remember their faces were all pressed up against each other's and it's like gazebo. And she sang these lyrics. And I want you to listen very carefully. Here's what she's saying. I'm not going to sing them for you, but here's what she's saying. For here you are standing there loving me. Whether or not you should... So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever would. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Did you ever hear those lyrics like that before? You see, as long as you think the good that you receive, like Maria in The Sound of Music... As long as you think that the good you receive is something you deserve, something you earned because you did something good, then you will never, you will not ever be able to understand how desperate your condition and situation is. As long as you see the bad as not really being that serious and not as bad as other people, You cannot understand this. And for you who have not been willing to trust and submit and to yield before Jesus, your Lord and your King, you cannot see how serious your situation is because of your own sins. Why? Because you have overvalued your goodness. And that's what our entire culture teaches. That's not the gospel. That's not the truth. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Tim, that's really bad news. That's really bleak. This is really a downer of a sermon. I want to tell you something, that until you understand and believe the bad news, you cannot really embrace and love the good news of the gospel. Because the good news won't look so good if you don't understand how bad the bad news really is. You see, Jesus came to save those who know, who understand, who realize that they are sinners, that they are in a desperate situation. And he came to save them, listen, by living and dying in their place. And that's the message of the gospel. First Corinth, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5 very famously says, For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see that exchange? Do you see the substitution that Jesus came to give? Even though he was innocent, 
even though Jesus was morally sinless, he died as if he had committed every one of our sins. And when you believe in him, when you submit to him, when you yield to Jesus, your king and your savior, you are made as righteous as if you had lived the perfect life of Christ. Even more, though, is the meaning of the word righteousness. Let us fulfill righteousness. What's that word righteousness mean? It means a heart deep fulfillment or a heart deep obedience, rather, to all of God's commands. Let me say that again. Righteousness, the way Matthew uses it in his gospel... He's very Old Testament in his usage. And this is how the entire Old Testament used the word righteousness. If you want to have the righteousness of God, then it is, in Matthew's meaning, a heart-deep obedience to all of God's commands. Jesus, in his baptism... When he is lowered below those waters, he is dedicating himself at the beginning of his public ministry that he belongs wholeheartedly to God, that there is no part of his life that he is keeping in selfish reserve. There is no part that he is withholding from giving to God and living obediently. That's not usually how we live. There's always a little part of our lives that we're just not ready to yield, that we're not ready to give up. We struggle so mightily to do that. Jesus had a heart-deep obedience to all of God's commands. And the result of his baptism is amazing. Let's read it. Verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately... He went up from the water. Now, friends, watch what happens. And behold, the heavens were open to him. That's the first thing. The heavens were open. In Mark, that means they were ripped open. They were torn open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. A dove has no talons. A dove is a bird of peace. A dove mourns over the death of his mate. A dove loves Enduringly, the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So we've got two major actions. First, not counting the, this one, the tearing open of the heavens. And then we've got two major actions. We've got the Holy Spirit that comes down in the form of a dove, comes down upon the Son to empower him. Remember, this is launching his public ministry. So the dove is empowering him, the Spirit of God empowering him and guiding him to a fully dedicated, unreserved obedient life all the way to the cross and the grave. And then we've got the Father, the Heavenly Father, who testifies, who testifies and declares His whole 
love, his beloved love for his son. He's declaring, he's testifying of his son's wholehearted obedience and work of righteousness. Look what he says again. The father says this about the son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. See, God is pleased with wholehearted obedience to him. And Christian, I want you to know something. The moment that you put your faith, that you yielded, that you submitted before Jesus, your Lord and Savior, that very, very moment, the Spirit of God came upon you as well to guide you into truth, to empower you for a life of obedience, to begin transforming your life so that you want to do what God wants, that you will hate to do what God hates. It's an impelling, not a compelling. It's an inward change that the Spirit of God is bringing, not an outward lashing of a whip. This is the beauty of the gospel of grace. And the moment of your salvation, that same Father who spoke over Jesus, listen, you can't hear it likely with your ears, but you should be able to hear it with your heart because he says to you, this is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Do you believe that God spoke that over you? Do you truly believe the Spirit of God came down upon you with his power and his presence and that there was a proclamation from the Father That you are his child. He has adopted you. You are brought into his family. And he is pleased with you. And you've got to be scratching your head. You've got to be asking, well, how could the Father say this about me? I have sinned so greatly. I deserve his wrath. I'm going to tell you how he could say it. It's because the Son, Jesus, took your sin on himself and he lived your life and he died your death that you deserved. It's because of Jesus that we have been made children of God. It's because of Jesus that we've been clothed in power by the Spirit. It's because of Jesus that we've got the presence of the Spirit. And it's because of Jesus we've got the proclamation of the Father that we are his child And with us, he is well pleased. This is what makes 1 John 3, 1 so amazing. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This coming Sunday afternoon, we have over a dozen Christians who will enter the waters of baptism which is an outward symbol of an inward spiritual reality. It's a symbol like you would wear your favorite team jersey that represents your love for that team. Baptism is a symbol like a ring. And putting the ring on at a wedding does not make you married. Putting the ring on at a wedding shows everybody that you're married. This is what baptism is. It's a public declaration, an outward symbol of an inward spiritual reality. And when we lower those Christians below the waters of baptism, 
they are making a declaration that their old guilty selves, the sinful selves that they were, is being buried, or it was buried with Christ at the moment of their faith, and declared dead when they were saved. Do you see the power of this imagery? When we lower them below the waters, they are making a symbolic declaration. The, the person I used to be, the sinner and the guilt bearer that I was, is dead. It's been buried with Christ. I am no longer who I was, and I am becoming who God is making me to be. And we bring them up from those waters. They are shouting to everybody that is there, whether you are watching this through our live stream, or if you're family members and you are there watching it in person, you're going to see symbolically they are declaring to everybody that they have been raised with Christ and they've been given a whole new life and identity. And they are no longer who they were, but they are now new persons. And listen, they are joined to Christ and they are joined to the church. It's the power of baptism. It's so glorious. It's so beautiful. It's exponentially worse, in my view, to refuse to be baptized as a Christian than for a spouse to refuse to wear their wedding ring after they get married. It's exponentially worse. I can never understand why would any Christian disobey Christ's commands to be baptized. Do you not know you are living in disobedience? Do you not expect then to forfeit the blessings of God? They cannot be yours entirely. Christian history testifies that following our Lord into the waters of baptism is glorious. And to do anything other than to, to be obedient, it's going to rob your soul of power and blessings. If you have been baptized, listen, friend, you know it did not save you. Your salvation predates your water baptism, but it will strengthen you. Water baptism will strengthen your faith. It will anchor the gospel's truth more deeply in your life because the Spirit of God came upon you in salvation and the Father declared His pleasure for you. And you have sealed it in your baptism and declared it to all who are there. All because of what Jesus did on your behalf, dying your death so that you could be right with God, so that you could have the blessings of his life. I want to ask you a question. I'm almost finished, but I want to ask you a question. Have you experienced the Holy Spirit coming on you? I'm talking about salvation. Has your soul been persuaded by God's love for you? His pleasure for you because of his son's heart, deep obedience, his righteousness? Have you understood the power and the presence and the proclamation that occurs at the moment of your salvation that is symbolized and your baptism. You see, last week, if you remember, Pastor Matthew spoke of God doing a new thing 
in our world, a new thing in our church, a new thing in our lives. Well, perhaps, as you have looked at the baptism of Jesus Christ, maybe that new thing will be that for the first time ever, you actually fall before Jesus, your Savior and your King, and you yield and you submit and you believe in Him. And the Spirit of God will come over you. The Spirit of God will enter into your soul. He will give you His presence and His power. And the Father will declare and proclaim His love for you, that you are His child. And your life will be progressively more and more yielded to Jesus, your Lord and Savior, so that you can serve Him to the end of the earth. That you can serve Him to the end of the earth. As I close, do you remember Balthazar Hubmeyer that I opened up with? Do you remember how he was burned at the stake because he taught that it should not be infants that are being baptized, it should be believers who have put their faith, have yielded their lives to Jesus, their Lord, their Savior, their King. Do you remember Hubmeyer, he was burned at the stake, and all the while that the flames were crawling up his body, his wife could be heard shouting for him, Hold on to your faith, Balthazar. Hold on to your faith. Do not let it go. Do you know what happened to his wife? Three days later, her end came. She was arrested. She was sentenced to death, but not by burning at a stake. She was laid on a plank of wood that spanned two rowboats. And on one end of that plank was a large rock that had a chain affixed to it. And that chain was bound around her torso. And they rowed those two boats out into the Danube River, River out into the deepest part of that river. And when it was time, they tipped one end of that plank off one of those boats, plunging her to the depths of a watery grave. Why? Because she believed in water baptism for believers. What do you believe? And are you willing to yield to the command of Christ to be baptized as a believer without delay, declaring the presence and the power and the proclamation of the Spirit of God and the Father of God, all because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. He lived your life and he died your death so that you could have eternal life. Are you ready for baptism? I hope so. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the example of Hubmeyer and his wife. Lord, I thank you for the example of thousands of saints who counted it as nothing to forfeit their lives to be baptized, which was a death sentence for many. But they understood how important it was to be obedient to the Lord, to declare publicly, I belong to Jesus Christ and I belong to his church because he saved me. He stepped into the waters of the judgment of his father that I should have been in. 
And he was plunged beneath the wrath of God that should have been mine. And because of his death on that cross, and because of his burial and his resurrection, the moment I believe, the moment I trust, the moment I yield to Jesus, my Savior and my King, that work, that righteousness, that heart-deep, full obedience of Jesus is applied to me, and I am saved. And I am given life eternally. And I want to show that to everyone. And here is my ring. Here is my school jersey. Here is my team jersey. Here is my baptism. And may everybody see that I belong to Jesus and that he belongs to me. And it's the name of the glorious Savior and King that we have. Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless Cornerstone. We hope to see you at Lopat Park and let's worship together.